How's everybody doing? Doing well? It's like the college, the college Bible study with some mix in of some everybody else in church, right? So I haven't been here for any of these studies yet uh, this semester. I've been traveling um, to various places, and so I I haven't been able to sit in. I'm I'm getting to I'm getting to lead the discussion for the first one I've actually attended. So that's uh, if it's not what you've seen before, I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, most of the time, whenever I'm doing business uh, meetings and traveling and stuff, I usually present uh, with with the PowerPoint. And so that's that's my natural way of uh, presenting and teaching, and you may not think I'm very good at it anyways, but that's the way I do it when I'm when I'm working. So, so um, the other piece of this is, how many of you are reading the book, Nine Marks? Anybody got the book, read the book, seen the book? It's not a requirement for this, but it is it is the guide that we're using to teach the the course this or the classes this year. So. Um, we divided this book up. It's got, well, it's got nine marks. Uh, it's got a couple extra chapters chapters in it. We divided it up amongst the elders. And, uh, for instance, I have Mark 3, the gospel. This isn't the gospel of Mark 3, but it is Mark 3, the gospel. I have that one. I'm teaching that this week. And then next week, I go up to the youth, and I teach the exact same thing to our youth. And so Colton was in here last week teaching... What was what was Colton's? Uh, it may not be. Expo- expository, okay. So Colton is up there with the youth this week teaching that. Um, so that's kind of the way we're doing this. So everything that I have on these slides is stuff that I created on the slides, but it is very much following the outline of this book. So um, I'm not that smart. I didn't do all the creation of this stuff. I just went through it and outlined the chapter. So you read the book. If you get the book and you read the book, you, this will look very familiar to you. So, with that said, we'll get uh, we'll get started here. First of all, let's let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we are very blessed to be able to come here tonight and to study about something that is so central, so critical to um, to our faith, or the the gospel. Lord, it is is truly an honor to be able to um, stand on this side of the cross and be able to talk about what has happened and what is going to happen and uh, what is currently happening, Lord. Lord, we we do not uh, take that for granted. Um, Lord, tonight is um, as we stand here, we have a team that is halfway around the world. Um, I believe it's the middle of the night there now that is teaching and proclaiming the same message to pastors in Uganda that will be taking this same message to the Sudanese people. Lord, we pray that, that as we go in obedience as a church and, and tell this gospel and preach this gospel, Lord, that uh, you will continue to, to bless us, to bless our efforts, Lord. And Lord, we pray for the safety of our team and pray that you'll bring them back safely to us here in a couple of weeks. And Lord, I'll pray that, that we just uh, dedicate this time to you tonight. And Lord, we pray that everything that's said, everything that is discussed is uh, glorifying to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, gospel. Today's definition of the gospel. Uh, the teaching or revelation of Christ. A thing that is absolute true or a set of principles or belief. That makes sense to you? Would you have guessed that? Somebody, if you, somebody asked you, what's the gospel? From a secular, from a secular point of view. From a secular point of view, yes. The word, the, just the word gospel. Write out the word gospel. Sound, sound like something you might read in a dictionary? Should, because it came out of the dictionary. Okay, the next one. The record of Jesus' life and teaching in the first four books of the New Testament. Each of the first four books of the New Testament or a por portion from one of the Gospels read at church service. Okay, so that's the second, second definition, right? And a third one. It's kind of interesting to me. A fervent style of black American evan evangel evangelical religious singing developed from spiritual sung in Southern Baptist and Pentecostal churches. Okay, so gospel music, right? Okay, came from apparently black churches, black Southern Baptists and Pentecostal churches. I didn't know that, but that's, that's what the def definition is in the, in the dictionary. Okay, so more of, a, more of an origin here. I don't know if you can see the origin chart over on the right. If you're sitting too far back, I'm sorry, you'll have to move forward. This is the best it gets. But Old English it used to be goad, goad spell, from goad meaning good and spell meaning story, a goad story. Notice it's a long, a long O. Oh, I'm not an English teacher either, so I think that's what the little line means on top of it. Okay, is that right? You got that? Okay. Okay, and then it's, it's also comes from translating ecclesiastical Latin, and there's a few Latin words, and some, another Latin word and some Greek there meaning good news. And you can look at all this coming down, the, down here. So we got the goad, we got the spell, we got the Latin, 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 a little bit of Greek coming across. And then, after the vowel was shortened in Old English, the first syllable was mistaken for God. So it became God's story. Okay, so the God and the goad and all that was kind of a little bit of a fluke, but it fits, right? So, the good old Bible study answer for the definition of the gospel is the good news. Okay, so what, what's so special about news? If I say news today, what do you think of? I heard Fox. Excuse me? Fake. Fake news. Weather. Information. Facts. Current information. So as a culture, are we are we allergic to news? Are we are we you know, are we afraid of news? Or are we addicted to news? So, so if the gospel is the good news, should people be afraid of it? Or should they be drawn to it? It's news, right? It's news. It's good news. Okay, so some, something to think about here, right? So, a culture addicted to news. Would you agree that we're addicted to news? Okay, if you don't, take a look at this. 
TMZ, anybody? Are we addicted to news? A little bit, right? Inundated by news, addicted to news. I mean, for the most part, this is, these are all very familiar to me. I still have no idea what this is. <laughs> I see this on my iPads and things, but it's not mine. I'm forced into this one at work, even though I don't like it. Uh, actually, I look at I look at people who apply for jobs there. That's where I, that's where I look to see what their history is. Um, this right here is a bunch of garbage that comes on before before primetime TV, which is also more garbage. Um, and then right now, I have to I have to look at at Fox News and I have to look at CNN because I have to meld them together to find out what the true news somewhere in the middle is, right? Because they're so they're both so biased. And then and then obviously, anytime we hear a Anytime we hear a helicopter coming overhead, we're, we're looking at this one and this one to find out what end of 281 had the wreck, right? Because that's usually where, the, it's usually where the news comes from. So anyways, we are a culture addicted to news. We listen to news, we look up news, we want to know more about what the news is, and then we spread the news, right? That's what we do. So what's, what's the difference here with the good news? So how are they different? The good news of the gospel and the news that we see today. Okay, the good news of the gospel is always accurate when sourced from the scripture. Agree with that? No problems there? The other news that we have today is accuracy is dependent on the source. Okay? You get a good writer um, that, you, that you can believe and trust, you might read their stuff real often. Because they, they seem not to be slandered. They seem to be kind of right down the middle and have maybe a, a, a good view of things. The gospel, good news, never changing. It was the same in Isaiah as it was in Matthew as it is today. And it will be tomorrow and forever. The other news, it's constantly changing, right? So it's it's... It's one thing now, and then, you know, on Facebook, it's, okay, that's 15 minutes old. This is only two minutes old. This is updated This updated two minutes ago. This updated 30 seconds ago. It's old news if it's an hour ago, right? Okay, the, the good news of the gospel is relevant throughout history now and forever. The other news, it's relevant until Trump by the next piece of news. What's the best way to get something off of, off of the headlines? Something bigger and better to happen, right? Politicians look for that all the time. Something's bad going to happen. They got something they got to put out that's bad. They put it out right before something else that's, that's going to happen that they know that they're only, only going to have to be in the headlines for a few minutes or for, for a few hours, right? So there's publicity-wise, there's, there's reasons that you, you either want to be out there at the same time or you don't want to be out there at that time. A, a prime example of this, I was on a, on a flight coming back from Boston a few weeks ago. Um, ironically, I was coming back from Boston, and... and on American Airlines, they have the, you know, the TVs in the back of the seats. Well, the movie Chappaquiddick came on. Anybody know what Chappaquiddick's about? Before my time, but I do, I do know my history a little bit. Chappaquiddick is a movie about Ted Kennedy whenever he was a senator and he, he drove his car off a bridge with a young female in it. The car turned upside down. He got out of the car and didn't report the accident until 
almost noon the next day, the woman, the woman drowned. Okay, so we have a senator whose two brothers both ran for president. One of them made president and was killed. The other one was killed running for president. He was the third one in line. He was going to be the next president. But yet now he has a manslaughter charge that's happening against him. What other event was happening at the same time that helped keep him out of the headlines? No, the U.S. was putting the, the first man on the moon the same weekend. The very same weekend, we were putting the first man on the moon. And so we had Ted Kennedy standing before a, a live television cameras saying that, I'm sorry, I did this. I, don't know, I just went into shock the same time they're landing a man on the moon. Perfect timing for the Kennedys, right? Because the story got trumped really quickly by the space race. Perfect timing. They played that out just, just right in order to get it in the news, get it published, and then get it off. He went on to serve, I believe, the longest, longest tenured senator. I think he served seven terms as a senator. Lost his only presidential race. And then died of brain cancer, I believe. So, another difference. The good news of the gospel Understanding is dependent on the Holy Spirit's intervention. You think about that one. The true understanding of the gospel is dependent on the Holy Spirit's intervention. Fair statement? Yeah? Okay. The, the other news is understanding is dependent on the, cons on the consumer's intellect. I can read the Wall Street Journal and get something out, get one thing out of it, my eight-year-old daughter can read the same words and might not get anything out of it. It has to do with, with what I know, what my background is. As I read that news, that's, that's what I get out of it. From her standpoint, it's just a bunch of syllables that she's reading and getting them out. So the understanding of news is very dependent on, on the person that's reading it. What, is it. what are they getting from it? Okay, so... In this book, this, this book is divided up into a couple of sections, or this chapter is divided up into a couple of sections. So we're going to look at what is the gospel, what it is not, and what it is. And we're going to focus on what it's not first. So here's the sections we're going to go through. The good news is not simply that we are okay. You heard that before? I'm okay, you're okay? Okay. The gospel news is not simply that God is love. You heard that one? God is love. That's the gospel. God is love. Okay. The good news is not simply that Jesus wants to be our friend. How about that one? I think I've heard all these in my own family at one point in time. Extended family. The good news is not simply that God will renew creation. Okay. Are any of these not true? None of them are not true, but are they the whole truth? The good news in our response. Okay, this is the last piece of it. And then repentance and belief. So this is, this is what we're going to go through. All right, so first off, the good news is not simply that we are okay. The idea that we are all different and that we are all okay is a major misconception. What do you think about that? Have you heard this before? We're all okay? And that's okay? 
I dated a I dated a girl in college, and I've told this to several people, especially college students that have come through. Um, she was Catholic, I was Protestant, and we dated for about nine nine months or so. And it was, you know, we started talking about future plans and things like that because I, I believed that I wasn't going to date anybody that I wouldn't potentially marry. And I went to church with her at a Catholic church in Weatherford. She came to church with me. Um, um, my pastor was not especially kind to her during the sermon when she was there, knowing that she was Catholic. Um, that didn't work out very well. But nonetheless, when it was all said and done, she sucked. You know, we could be married and we could have kids. And we could just let our kids choose what we, what, you know, what they want to follow. You know, I, you do your thing, I do my thing. I'm okay, you're okay. We're all going to the same place, same God, same Jesus, same whatever, right? Okay, that's not exactly true. It's a misconception. That relationship didn't didn't last through that that issue. It just it was a it was a something we couldn't get past. So the, the, skip, the scriptures clearly state that we are all the same in the eyes of our creator. That is true. We are, we are all the same. We are all image bearers of God, right? That part is true. We have all inherited our sin nature from Adam and Eve. They were seduced into disobeying God in the garden. We inherited that sin nature, you know, through our, through our parents, through Adam and Eve. Is Bill tracking good here? And our sin, we are all equally, we are all equally unrighteous and on equally bad terms with God. That's the, that's the important part. You're okay, I'm okay, and we're all not okay in God's eyes. Right? You can accept me, I can accept you, but God's not accepting any of us is what it amounts to. So that's, that's the hang up here. So what does the scripture say? In John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you're not okay. Agreed? All right. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the, pris- in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We're dead. You're not okay. I'm not okay. Right? So what do we, what do we think? Of, tell me about this. Are we, have, we, have we come across this in our people groups in our networks as Josh has been teaching on our networks a little discussion on this one you come across this care to share it Okay. 
that real technical issue there. Okay, so we have a situation here where we have a, an, an alternate lifestyle of a, of a daughter and thinks that it's okay, it should be accepted by, by mom, right? Okay. But the gospel says that it's not okay, right? Okay. Until somebody realizes that they're not okay, it's hard to it's hard to convince them, right? Okay. But God is sovereign, but man is responsible. The man is responsible to come to that realization, but God is sovereign in, in the Holy Spirit of allowing that person to understand that gospel, right? Okay. Others? I think the important piece here is the perspective is it's God's perspective that matters here, not my perspective that I'm okay, you're okay. Because, yes, I can accept you and however you are as a sinner, as I am a sinner. You, I would accept, expect you to accept me. But the gospel is not do I accept you, do you accept me, are we all okay? It's, it's what is God's view of you, are you okay? And as a mankind, we are not okay. We are dead in our trespasses, and we cannot see the kingdom of God without some intervention. Right? Okay. So here's, here's a few more. Romans 6.23. You know this one? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about this one, James 2, 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit murder, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So being okay in the eyes of God is a pretty tall task. A very tall task. An impossible task from from a people who have fallen. So, 
this is way too much to type, so I, I just made a reference here. In, um, in the book on page 89, it, it has a little bit of a, a, a small story here, an example. It says, let me explain with an example from marriage. Let's suppose that my wife asked me to go to the store and buy some things. <laughs> this could actually be true. But I deliberately buy a number of other things instead. It is not a mistake on my part. Rather, I deliberately fail to get as much of something as I should, and I get another brand of something than what she requested, and I omit some other things from the list altogether. Okay? It might have happened. What would be the real problem? Would it be just a matter of individual items that I did not did or did not buy? I suggest that my actions would reflect larger, deeper issues in my relationship with my wife. So it is with us and God. We can't just say, oh, well, I only broke 17 of God's laws this week. That's not so bad. No, the issue is, what does our blatant disregard for God's law say about our relationship with God himself? What's going on between us and God? There's a problem there, right? Now, if I accidentally didn't pick up those things or I made an honest mistake, which is actually what happened when I went to the store for her, and picked up some things that, that were not, they were what I thought she said was on the list, but they weren't what was on the list. Um, if, I, if I did it purposefully, then there's a, there's a problem with the relationship there. Okay, I only broke a few of the laws. I only did a few things differently than she did asked me to. But when we have a disregard for God's law, say, well, you know what? That wasn't so bad. I only broke 17 this week that I know about, that I actually know about. Um, that's when you say, okay, well, I'm okay. I did pretty good, right? The pretty good doesn't cut it. <laughs> as long as the scales tip the right way, right? Okay. So we cannot claim to be believers and yet knowingly, repeatedly, and happily break the law. All this to say, we are not okay. okay that, that gospel is not correct. Okay, so let's move to the, to the next one. The good news is not simply that God is love. Okay, so here's a, here's a key verse that when, when I Googled this, God is love, I got all kinds of things that Anna could make with this verse. First John. <laughs> Anna does great work, and it's good stuff, okay? So I'm not, I'm not picking on her. God is love, okay? I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying it's not the whole gospel, Okay? It is true, but it's not the whole gospel. So it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Okay? In this, the love of God has, was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Is any of that not true? assuming I copied it right right so God God is love and I didn't I'm not trying to trick anybody I didn't I didn't miswrite the scripture to try to trick anybody here but God is love right he did send his son to this earth to reconcile his creation back to him that's a loving act right so God is love but what 
what other things do we hear from our friends, from our network about God and love? How is this, how is this brought out of, out of context? So, so God is love, then they kind of leave off the justice part. Okay? So, okay. You read the book, didn't you? Okay. So, have you, children over here, Parents over here, either side of the side of the spectrum. God, God bless me. I'm okay. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we're tying them all together here, right? Okay, mom, if you really love me, you would not make me do that. God, mom, if you really love me, you wouldn't spank me for that. Mom, don't you love me? Whenever you're about to get a spanking, you, have you ever you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Anybody? Okay, we got a lot of head nods over here, right? God, God is love, right? Well, love doesn't always look the way that we think love looks, right? Okay. 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 I love you. <laughs> Not until they have their own children, right? Not until they have their own children and they say the same thing to their kids. They say, you know what? Mom really did love me. <laughs> Mom really did love me. Rejection, not love. That's that's one of them that I was that I was getting to is that's that's a false gospel, right? Yeah. So so if God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son, why would He allow that? sacrifice to be wasted by somebody being sent to hell that's a that's a false gospel right yeah there is a lot of love there there's a whole lot of love there god is love in that regard but there's the other side of the there's the other side of the coin here which god is love but god is also just 
right? And holy. Okay? And that's the other, that's the other piece that's missing. So it, it's not simply, it's not that this is wrong, it's just it's not simply God is love. It's not, it's not, you can't boil it down that much. But God is absolutely love, but God is so much more. Okay, another scripture, Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and, he, and in him all things hold together. So Colossians 1.17, God is, Jesus is, the glue that holds everything together, right? It's what keeps this creation from spinning into oblivion, right? So he's, he's all-powerful. He's everlasting, eternally in the past, eternally in the future. He's not just love. He's, he's a whole lot more than that. Psalms 147.5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So his wisdom is, well, it's beyond measure. We can't even, we can't even put a limit on it, right? The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Okay, explain to me how this piece, but all the wicked he will destroy, is simply God is love. It doesn't reconcile, right? You can't have a simple gospel that is only God is love whenever you have verses like this and passages like this in Scripture. God is love, but God is also just. Exactly. So yes, God is love, but God is also holy, righteous, and just. Here's Revelations twenty eleven through fifteen. Okay, this is we talk about justice. This is it, right? Then I saw a great white throne. Who's sitting on the throne? Okay, God. And him who was seated on it. From his presence, presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire lake of fire so god is love but equally so god is just okay so prior to the final judgment god's love is often displayed through discipline of those who are following him any any examples of god's discipline in scripture i'm not asking for um any examples in scripture where God's discipline is on display okay more specifically okay so there's a whole list of discipline for the Israelites one specifically is they sent spies into the land. They came back, and what did they say? We ain't, we're not doing this. We're not going. They're too big. 
They're too scary. You're not big enough, and we're not going to try. And so what did they do? They, they hung out for 40 years, right, until they all died off, all the adults. Even Moses was only able to go stand on the mountain and look across the river. That's, that's as far as he got. And whenever he died, Joshua took him across. That's kind of the way it worked. So, so other, other areas of discipline in the Bible. Others? Okay. We just we just talked about Nehemiah and Ezra, right? That was the Babylonian Empire that that was that basically overtook Israel for a period of time for how what was it? For 70 years, for 70 Sabbaths, right? Or how many Sabbaths was that? 490 Sabbaths that they had that they had not done. So that's how many, how long they had to wait until they could come back. It's discipline. What about in the chronicles of your own life? What about discipline in your own life? Have you seen it? Have you been able to recognize discipline in your own life? Anybody care to share that one? Not really. <laughs> okay. So as, as she is speaking about not being disciplined in, in reading or praying or whatever, that she can see the, the hand of God as a discipline in her life to, to bring her back. Now, it's important to, to note that, that you know, reading daily or praying daily is not a, an act of works that you have to do in order to get God's favor. But the underlying point of this is not that, but it's the relationship that God desires that he's not receiving from his child that he wants back so you know it's not that okay well I'll check that off today I check that off today I check that off today I got all my works done today I did my I did everything I got to do here it's the relationship that is that is waning that God's wanting back we do that with our children too right when 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 they some type of dis some type of behavior is moving to the side moving outside of, of what we want we Sometimes use a little bit of a of a soft hand to kind of move them back, and then the further they get, the the bigger the two before gets until you knock them back in, right? And sometimes, you know, the further you go, the the further back that two before goes before it's going to finally come loose and it's going to smack you back, right? That it happens that way sometimes too.
So do we, do we not sometimes see that in our culture that children, maybe sometimes when children are misbehaving, that they're actually wanting discipline? Because that discipline also means what? I mean, sometimes the, the most unruly kid you might see in RAs or GAs that's maybe not a, maybe not one of our own family children might be, might be acting up because they want that discipline, because that means somebody's going to, in a way, love them. They may not realize that's what they're wanting and craving, but that's what they're getting, and that's what they're wanting is they want somebody to pay attention to them, right? So somewhat the same thing. So here, Hebrews 12, 5, 6, and then verse 11. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the moment, all discipline, in verse 11, excuse me, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Scripture. Truth, exactly. So yes, God is love, but God is also holy, righteous, and just. So here's the next one. Jesus, the good news is not simply that Jesus wants to be our friend. How about that one? Jesus is my co-pilot. <laughs> Seen that before? Jesus is my buddy. <laughs> Other ones? Jesus is my co-creator. I haven't seen that one. Okay. have a real hard time putting Jesus down on my level to be my friend. That's, that's really hard for me to do. Jesus did not come to this earth to be a role model for us. When I first read that, I was like, hmm, okay. Did Jesus come to be a role model? He, he modeled the... It's not why he came, but he certainly did it. He, he, did, he did give us the, the uh, high priest prayers, right? Praying for his, his, the people that God's going to give him and the people that he's already given him. And he, he, modeled, he modeled how to pray. He modeled uh, teaching. He modeled how to interact with children. He modeled how to disciple a group of men. He modeled being led by the Spirit. I mean, if the most perfect man on earth went and found a secluded place to pray to his father. <laughs> Don't you think that would probably work for us too? The fallen people, right? So Jesus did not come to this earth to be a role model for us, although we should consider his ways and strive to be more like him. His whole purpose was to die on the cross. If Jesus didn't come and die on the cross, would it matter what, his, what he did as a role model? The rest of it doesn't matter. So if Jesus led a perfect life on this earth, he led a perfect life on this earth and went through his entire life and died of natural causes, what would that do? Probably be forgotten about by now. Okay, that's a good, good answer. I, I, this, I hadn't actually studied this, but I'm just thinking of it. If he did all that, he would, he would still have a good relationship with the, God the Father. Right? But none of us would. 
not your will. Not my will, but your will be done, right? Yeah. <laughs> no tomatoes, guys. No tomatoes, okay? I'm standing over here, away from this group over here. <laughs> but his whole purpose, his whole purpose was to die on the cross. Many times in Scripture he said, the time's not, the time's not come, the time's not come, the time's not come. And then when that Passover week came, he, sa- he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, and you weren't stopping him. He was going to Jerusalem that week. Time had come, right? So, so Jesus didn't come to be our friend. His whole purpose was to die on the cross. Everything else he did was, was great. It made, it made good material for, for our Bible, for us to live by, great examples. It fulfilled a whole lot of Scripture in the Old Testament. But his purpose was to die on the cross. That's, that's critical to the gospel. So what would be the closest thing to a friend in the Bible? Lazarus? I mean, he wept at Lazarus' grave, right? And, and Mary and Martha, because they were, they were friends, if you will. So, so God can be a friend to the sinner in the sense that he laid down his life, right? You're friends with it. But, but there again, it's not saying that God can't be your friend. It's saying the good news is not simply that Jesus is your friend, okay? It's not just Jesus is your friend, okay? It's much, much more than that. It is Jesus is your sacrifice. That is the sacrifice in your place. So Mark 10:45 For even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in the book it, it gave a couple of um maybe metaphors here, maybe uh, similarities, um examples. It's about economics. Christ died to pay a ransom. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you're, you're far off, now you're brought near to, to, to God through the blood of Christ. He paid a ransom for us. Okay, his purpose on earth was more than being a friend, it was to pay a ransom. That's why he was here. Since therefore, this is Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Uh, death on a cross during the Passover was no coincidence. This is actually written, this is actually a statement out of the book. Death on a cross during the Passover was no coincidence. 
Jesus was and is the sacrifice that forever paid the ransom for the sins of his people. So what's the significance of Jesus dying during the Passover? In Jerusalem, of all places. Okay. So at the Passover, everybody came into the holy city. Those that could came into the holy city. How many animals were sacrificed in Jerusalem during the Passover weekend? Passover week. Thousands and tens of thousands. You're talking about sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. So that whole Passover from the from the Old Testament was looking forward to the ultimate Passover of Jesus Christ, which happened at the very specific time that God ordained. It wasn't the week before. It wasn't the week after. It was during the Passover week. No coincidence. So it's about relationships. Christ's blood reconciles God to his created image bearers. Okay? Without Christ in the middle, a holy and just God can't associate with a sinful people. But Christ's blood reconciles that relationship between the creator, the just creator, and his sinful image bearers. Okay? So it's economics. He paid the, he paid the, the price of it. It's about relationships and reconciling the relationship between the two. Sin created a rebellious spirit in the image bearers of God in the garden. The blood sacrifice of Christ removes this root cause of hostility and allows reconciliation between sinners and a just and holy God. I've mediated between children before when they've had differences. And sometimes you have to go in and remove the root cause of the hostility before the reconciliation can ever happen. Right? Reconciliation can kind of happen. You can kind of bridge over it. But if you don't get that seed of hostility out of there, it's just going to rupture again, right? Happens in every relationship. Happens in marriages. If that seed of discontentment just gets glossed over, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rupture again. Well, that, that seed was, was the sin in the garden, and Jesus is able to remove that seed and restore that relationship. Thoughts on that? It's about sovereignty. Jesus has overcome the world. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you, ha- you may have peace. In the world you, w- you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus has repaired relationships, he's paid the price, and he's also sovereign over the whole world. It doesn't matter what happens in this, in this life, on this earth, it doesn't matter what happens, Jesus knows it's going to happen. He's telling you tribulation is going to happen to you. Bad things are going to happen. Cancer is going to happen. The loss of a child is going to happen. Things are going to happen. Sickness is going to happen. But take heart. I've I've already overcome it. So is is that Jesus being a friend? It's Jesus being a sovereign protector of his people. 
a protector of your soul. Not necessarily physically all the time. Some things, some bad things are going to happen. Ask Job. But in the end, as you read the book of Job, nothing happens. It's not sovereignly allowed by God. So take heart in that. Jesus is a friend to the sinner, but he is so much more. So here's, here's one more. That the good news is not simply that God will renew creation. God certainly is renewing his creation, and his chosen people are shining like stars as co-laborers with God. This is a statement out of the book. So, so there is also a, a gospel out there that just says, okay, everything that's happened, everything's in place. God kicked it off. It starts rolling. But in the end, God's going to come out here and he's going to create a new a new heaven out here and we're all going to be brought back into it and he's going to fix everything. Okay? The whole gospel is everything's going to happen in the future. God's, God's out there. He's going to make a new creation. He's going to fix it all. Okay? Yes, God is going to create a new creation, but that's not the whole gospel. Okay? We can't, we can't just rely on that. So right here it's saying God certainly is renewing his creation and his chosen people are shining like stars as co-laborers with God. This is happening right now. This part is happening right here, right now. So in Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of the crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the, to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We have a responsibility right now to be doing something, to be shining like lights. Okay, the gospel doesn't all happen whenever God decides to renew his creation. That's going to happen, but it's also, also the gospel includes what happens right now, what we're doing today. The gospel's already in place. It's already, been, it's already rolling, as, as you might say. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. However, as stated clearly in this, in, in this book, we do not, this is an important statement, we do not do the gospel. We proclaim it. Okay? Do we have, do we have any part in the gospel? No, we, we proclaim the gospel. We're told to go tell about the gospel. And the gospel is the news we proclaim not about what we are doing, but, what, but about what God has done, is doing, and will do. The gospel is all about what God is doing, has done, and will do. Our piece of this is going and telling people about what God has done, is doing, and will do. See the difference in that? Okay. The gospel does not allow passivity or a free ride. Agree with that statement? So Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Okay? We can't be passive in our proclaiming of the gospel. God opens up an opportunity for you, take it. Use it. Don't waste it. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptizing. 
Luke 22, 17 through 19. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourself, yourselves. For I tell you that, now, that from now on I will not drink of the, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, the gospel is not passive. Proclaiming the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We tell people about the gospel. We baptize people in the name of the gospel, in the name of, of, of God and the Holy Spirit. And then we remember through the, through the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper, baptism, two ordinances of the church, right? Set, set in place by, by Jesus himself, right? And then proclaiming the gospel. We can't be passive. We have to be active. Okay? But the gospel is not what we're doing. It's what we're talking about. Right? That makes sense? Any comments on that? So, so what's wrong with a what's wrong with a gospel where you can be saved? If you want to use Christianese, you can be saved, but yet you feel like you're okay and you don't have to do anything else. Who said that? Okay, by their fruits you will know them. If you're not, excuse me. Confess Jesus as Lord, Romans 10. And by Jesus being your Lord means that you are, you're indebted to him. You want to serve him. You want to do these things for him. So if you have salvation, but you don't have an, an unction, a desire to go do these things and to, and to gather with other people of similar beliefs, you might want to question if your if your belief is right okay so there's an obedience there you will obey my commands but there's also when when you're not doing those things you're also going to feel like there's this urging to say you know what come back come back come back right okay if you're not feeling that i challenge you Acknowledge me before man. That's tell. Tell what you're doing, why you're doing it. What you do and the way, way you walk and the way you handle your children, the way you handle your husband or your wife, the way you handle situations, the way you react, it's absolutely a proclamation of your belief, of your changed life. But what that does is, and, and this situation has happened to me, I've had people that I've worked with that are from an, other states, they've had a, a tragic loss of a parent. And they call me, and they 
just want to talk. And why are they wanting to talk to me? Well, it's because they've seen something in me over time of those things that I've done. And they're like, I just need to talk to that person. I don't, know, I don't really know exactly why, but I need to talk to that person. Well, when that happens, God set the table for you. Proclaim it. Where does your strength come from? How did you deal with situations like this? You never seem to get rocked by things like this. Your life seems perfect. No, my life's not perfect. It's just the way I handle situations makes it look like my life's perfect in your eyes. Let me tell you why. Let me show you why. No passivity. So God demands action and response. So what is the gospel? If we talk about what it's not, what is the gospel? The good news. Okay, here we go. All right. The one and only holy God made us in his image to know him. That's creation, right? Okay. We sinned and cut ourselves off from God. That's Genesis 3, right? Okay, there's lots of different ways you can, you can say this, but in the, God created us in his image. Perfect. And then we messed it up through sin. I'm thinking VBS. I'm thinking there's a song that goes with this, right? I'm going to Tanya back here. <laughs> um, God took on flesh in the form of Jesus and lived a perfect life and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on the punishment for sin for all those that would ever turn and believe in him. Okay, so now we've had... Now we've had God come to earth. He lives the perfect life. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. He dies during the Passover. He's taking care of the blood sacrifice. Okay? It's not over yet. Jesus rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. exhausted. Us, I almost changed this. This isn't the way it was written in the book. But us is those chosen people who have accepted Christ's sacrifice, not us as mankind, okay? So that can be misleading here. I want to make sure everybody understands this is us as in those that are in Christ, okay? Next, Jesus ascended into heaven and presented his work to the Father. Did he do that? He rose from the dead. He didn't go straight to heaven. He walked with the people. He appeared to over 500 people, right? Enough, quite a few witnesses. And then at, after that, he ascended back to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He's, he's a little bit busy up there at the moment, right? A little busy. But he's waiting for the Father to send him back. He's waiting. And then, after he ascended, Jesus sent out the Holy Spirit to call us through his message, call us through his message to repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. That's a very important piece. The Holy Spirit had to come. The Holy Spirit has to prick the heart because no one searches out God on their own accord. No one does. And you can have as many lost friends as you know, and I, and I think I have several that I work with in my network that Josh talks about, you do too, that it doesn't matter what I do or what I say, I think it's never going to get through to them. And you know what? It isn't. Apart from the Holy Spirit, pricking their heart i don't know when it's going to happen i don't know if it's going to happen but what i do know is god said proclaim the gospel 
So what was the, what was the prophet that proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed the gospel over and over and over again and never saw a convert? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? Is that, am I right? Okay. So God doesn't say, God doesn't guarantee that every time you give the gospel, you're going to have a thousand batting average and every time it's going to happen. He doesn't. He doesn't guarantee the salvation of your child. That's hard to stomach. But it doesn't change the fact that we, we as, as being the ones that those children have been put into the, under, their, under our leadership, that we pour that gospel into them over and over and over and over again. Because that's what God tells us to do. And we pray. We pray for the Holy Spirit to prick the heart of our children. We pray for the Holy Spirit to prick the heart of our, of our friends, of our family members, of our congregation. We pray for that. And then we allow a sovereign God to deliver as he sees fit. Agree with that? And then, last but not least, if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life and, and eternal life with God. So, God is sovereign. He sent the Holy Spirit to call us. Man is responsible if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ. It's both, both true. God is sovereign. He's going to do it when, he, when it's his timing. Man's responsible. Man's got man's to accept it and repent. Yes and yes, both true. Okay, so repentance and belief. We got the gospel, now repentance and belief. The gospel requires a radical response. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' own words in Mark 1.15. So repent and believe. Here's some just textbook definitions right out of, right out of the dictionary. Repent, to feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. Agree with that? To feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin? Turn. What's that? You're going to turn away from it, and then you're going to go the other way. Right? You're going to turn. And you're going to go the other way. And then belief, to accept something as true, feel sure of the truth of it. These are, these are secular definitions for these two words, but they work. You're going to feel remorse, you're going to feel regret, and you're going to turn. You're going to turn, you're going to go another direction. And then belief. So, last slide. What does the gospel mean to you? What have you done with the gospel? And lastly, what are you going to do with the gospel? We, we have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. I mean, this is, a, this is a study of nine marks of a healthy church. Is the gospel complicated? It's not. It's not complicated. Can you, can you walk through these points with somebody if you got the opportunity to 
to proclaim the gospel to somebody? You ever thought about it that that much? To be quite honest with you, before before Edward came and had a couple of studies, I don't know that I'd ever actually seen it written out in any form. But if somebody asked you the gospel, I know Tanya's had some uh, VBS trainings and things like that. How do you how do you lead somebody through the gospel? How do you lead a child through the gospel? Can you can you take this right here and put it on a on an eight an eight year old level, six year old level? Can you take that and put it on a college professional level? It's really not a whole lot different. It's not. So it's very important for us as a healthy church to understand what the gospel is. And whenever we see in our network of people, we see a, a gospel that is half-baked or, or over-baked to be able to, to rightly bring that back into line. And so, do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what it means to you? And do you know what you're going to do with the gospel? If you've already accepted the gospel, what are you supposed to do with it? Proclaim it. So that's what I that's what I have for you tonight. For the gospel, is one of the nine marks of the Holy Church. So thank you for your time tonight, and um, we'll close in prayer. So Father God, we we thank you for this time. We thank you for the the conversation. We thank you for the discussion. And Lord, I I thank you for this church, um, the people that that you have put um, around uh, me and my family to. Strengthen us in the gospel to to worship with to to um, to uphold each other, Lord. And Lord, I pray that um, that we can be that we can be that um, strengthener for each other, Lord. But also that we can be a light to our community, Lord. And in every opportunity you give us to proclaim this gospel, Lord, that we take it, Lord, and that we that we um, do justice to it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen.